0: This is episode 16 with Thomas O'Grady.
1: Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former Army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael.
0: Aloha, Men of Abundance. Today's quote that perfectly describes today's show is this. Don't let someone else's opinion of you become your reality. That's a quote I first heard from Les Brown, and it completely stands true for the conversation we're going to have today with Thomas O'Grady. Before we get into the show, I want to ask you to be abundant in your life today and share this episode with just three men that you feel will greatly benefit from the information that we share here on Men of Abundance. And you can do that directly from whatever platform it is you're listening to. Of course, the first thing that you need to do, regardless of what platform you're listening to Men of Abundance on, is to subscribe to Men of Abundance so that you don't miss one single show. Then share this information, either share the podcast or share the website menofabundance.com with just three men today. If they don't know what a podcast is, explain it to them. Hey, everybody's got to learn something new every single day. And if what they learn about is a podcast, especially Men of Abundance, then that's been a great day. So what you can do is just grab their phone. Say, give me your phone. Pull it up, especially if it's an iPhone. You go straight to the Purple Podcast app, click on it, search Men of Abundance, subscribe them right there on the spot. Or if it's any other platform, download the app real quick. And search for men of abundance and there you go you may have just changed somebody's life so our guest today Thomas O'Grady he gets deep into his story but basically he grew up with very humble beginnings in a small house with a family of six. Thomas was given the impression, and often told by teachers and guidance counselors, that he would never amount to much and was certainly not college material. Ultimately, Thomas O'Grady received his PhD in Mathematical and Statistical Economics from the University of California at Berkeley. That's unbelievable in itself. Since the age of 12, Thomas has been interested in entrepreneurial activities. He rose to the top of the Soviet intelligence, broke Soviet codes three times, extended Nobel laureate Daniel McFadden's work at GM Research Labs. As the head of Chase Automotive Division, he reached profitability that the chairman and president insisted was not possible. Besides hard work, Thomas credits his success to consistent, independent learning and states that he learns from each and every person he meets. Formerly, Thomas assisted many executives and companies researching feasibility and positioning for products. The list of people Thomas directly advised includes Lee Iacocca and Alan Greenspan, and companies including Toyota, Mercedes, Mitsubishi, Fuji, and Microsoft. He has been on TV and radio as an expert over 300 times and is in the print media, newspapers, and magazines over 35,000 times. On one day, he appeared in six different articles in USA Today, and yes, the rumor is true. He appeared in Vogue. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So, where are you at in the world today? Where are you at right now?
1: (laughs) Yes, today. Today, I'm actually at home, Redmond, Washington.
0: Redmond, Washington. I have not had the pleasure of traveling to Washington yet, but I do know... It's absolutely gorgeous, and one thing that's kind of odd, that's kind of trivial that some people may know and you may know, uh, most people don't know but you may know, is that a lot of people from Hawaii end up in Washington.
1: That's a natural place to go from Hawaii because, yeah. quite frankly, a lot of people in Hawaii that I've known over the years talk about the fact that they get island fever. That is because you can't go very far. You, once you're out of the island, basically, you've got three hours of ocean between you or by plane between you and anything else so mm-hmm. they move and Washington is a very comfortable place for them to go to
0: yeah you know a lot of people visit that they call it the, I think the eighth or ninth island I always forget but uh, the ninth island is Las Vegas but that's where they go to visit they go to Campbell but when they go somewhere else to live it's Washington generally
1: yeah I I like it very much it's very nice very good weather You know, it has a little bit of variation, but here when we, even in the wintertime, when we have not very cold, but, you know, cooler weather, Mm -hmm. uh, well, I can go an hour and 15 minutes and I'm at the ski slopes because the Cascades are right nearby. Mm -hmm. We keep all our snow in the mountains. Most people don't know how to do that, but ours (laughs) stay up in the mountains and we stay down below.
0: I'm originally from Phoenix, Arizona, so we do the same thing up there. The snow stays up in the mountains, but it is quite hot where I I grew up at, so I don't get back there very often.
1: Yes, I have a brother that lives down
0: there. It is nice down there, though. So before we started the show, I spoke a little bit about you, a little bit about what you're doing and uh but i would like for you to speak a little bit more about yourself and your background and what you're doing now and how you you know a little bit about how you got there work up to that and uh, let's get a little bit personal
1: okay oh gosh personal there (laughs) okay (laughs) a few things actually i have a tough time talking about myself i've done extremely well in several different things and that's part of the reason i you know i was always you know, it was sort of pushed into me never to brag, never to say things. So it's kind of a hard thing to do. But what happened was, and I only share it more now because I'm able to talk to people on planes or military personnel at airports and give them some insight as to what they can do. Because it's a matter of not what I did, because I've done a lot of things. Actually, that's why I was asked to write my book. I was uh, really grew up thinking that I was not very bright, pretty dumb actually. And I used to dream and hope someday to become average just so that I'd be like everybody else. Part of that was because I had, my eyes were very crooked and I literally had teachers in junior high school and high school that said things in front of, well, to me, et cetera, in front of other students. I also had guidance counselors, even though I scored very well. I scored the 99th percentile in every single test except for one I used to get between 93 and 95 after they read that off to my parents and it didn't matter what year it was man woman or whoever the guidance counsel was they'd always just push it aside and say you know you can't always go by tests and then the next couple of sentences were something to the effect of gee you know not everybody's meant for college have you ever thought about sending him to a trade school now when you take a look at my background and what i've done that's laughable today but that's what i got every single year The reason that I say that is on the back of my book. One of the things I mention is that the distribution of IQs is the same whether you're in a ghetto, small southern town, or suburban neighborhood. The difference is you're encapsulated by your environment and the limitations placed around you by other people and things that are there with you. So lots of people can do things that they don't even realize they can do what happened to me was when i went into the military again i scored very high on a language test and i joined up for the security agency in order to stay out of vietnam well when i went in in the third week in basic training they pulled us over there were only four of us pulled us over to this building and asked us you know they were going to ask us to choose what we wanted to do I was the third. The first two, they give them a the big explanation. They get to me and they didn't even hand me a sheet. They said, oh, we all know what you want. You want languages. And I said, no way, there's no way I could do a language. I took five years of German, Know nothing, etc., etc." They said, no, you have a great deal of potential, but they wouldn't send me unless I really wanted it because it cost them a huge amount of money to send somebody because there's only like five students to a class. So I turned it down. But I was lucky. And I'll make this real quick. Two guys sat next to me on a train. And this was a during basic training. Uh, we had a break at Christmas holidays. And they asked me to go to the New Year's Eve party. They told me, oh, God, you got to go back and tell them you change your mind. So I went back, knocked on the door, and said, I changed my mind. There was a captain answered the door. I don't know whether you're very familiar with the military or not.
0: Oh, yeah, 25 years. I'm retired. Oh, okay. Army, then Army Master Sergeant.
1: Okay, then you'd appreciate it. I got to be... <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I got to be Staff Sergeant in three years. And uh, what happened was I knocked on this door. Captain answers the door and says, what do you want? <laughs> and I said, well, I changed my mind. And the only pers- other person in the room was a colonel on the other side of the room he says hey colonel listen to this this guy thinks he can change his mind and the colonel says ask him why etc i said well i was told i was going to be asked to come back and see if i wanted to change my mind why because my score now the average score in the language test if you're familiar with it there's 59 questions the average score is 12 in the overall in the army 18 in the security agency could the average person in the security agency is two and a half years of college i get 58 out of 59 they invited me in they asked me to uh what i want to do they called up the national security agency right there asked me what language i wanted and let me choose my language that changed my life now just think of it that was two guys sat next to me on a chain on a train that changed my life entirely put me in a whole new direction so anything can happen to anybody but the other thing is, is i was encapsulated by that environment that i had and if it wasn't for getting out of that environment into the military, I would have never been anything. And now you take a look, I went after the military, and by the way, I ended up working up to, as you know, three years to be staff sergeant is, is for, They had to get a special waiver for that. I was put in charge of two thirds of all Soviet, Soviet intelligence, uh, interception, analysis, et cetera, cosmonaut activity paramilitary. After I got out, I went to Hofstra University, I was a top student there, was offered the Danforth Rotary Roads Fellowship, was a, even though I was a student, I became a faculty representative to the Board of Trustees, one of the two representatives, went on to Berkeley, accepted into the PhD in Mathematical and Statistical Economics program, and going from Hofstra University to Berkeley, that's kind of like going from high school to the NFL. Hmm. Uh, Real big difference. Everybody else came from MIT, Harvard, Berkeley, Stanford, Princeton, Yale, Cornell. Mm -hmm. So, and it wasn't until my third year I was walking back from the coffee room and a Nobel Prize winner, Gerard Debreu, was walking back with me and he was asking me to do a dissertation under him. And I told him, I'm not good enough. There's no way I could do, I'd be that good. And he says, yeah, you just brush up on a couple of things here and there. But he says, I know you're definitely good. I had the last year. So here I was arguing with him that I was not good enough. And when he said that, I turned around to him and said, well, I wasn't good. It was just that you were a really great teacher. It Wasn't until the next morning, I sort of woke up and it dawned on me, maybe I'm not so bad. But it took eight years to overcome the negativeness. And I took a look back at friends, et cetera. friend who was my roommate in the service he came out of Watts right after the riots we were really good friends got you know never talked about anything to do with that stuff he was brilliant but I wonder what happened to him when he went back if he goes back into the same environment I doubt if he has any opportunity
0: two things that I really get that I want to point out was one a really kind of personal is When you was in school and you were so brilliant and you did so well on tests yet they they told you the same thing that they told me. The difference is I was never good in school at all, uh, all even up through high school. And I was told, you know, maybe the trades will be good for you. And I don't even know that they went that far to even give me that much of a compliment. And then you went on to say that your environment is who makes you and you're a product of your environment. And that carried on with you full into your adult life even when you're in college after all of this brilliant stuff that you had done. And that's that's just amazing. And then the other point that I want to make that really hit me was the two gentlemen you were sitting next to in the bus. Again, part of your environment, your immediate environment, and you probably had only known these guys for a couple of days at best, and those two guys, that interaction, that interaction with two other men, young men at that point, made such an impact in your life because it helped you make a decision I mean I just get chills thinking about what would have happened had you not sat next to those two guys and where you had been today have you ever pondered that
1: oh yeah Uh, and actually not I didn't know them for a couple of days I didn't know them for a moment they Mm -hmm. sat down next to me on the train and uh, so I knew them only from the ride from the area near Fort Dix New Jersey up to New York City and during that maybe hour and a half drive, we got to know each other and they urged me very strongly to go to the New Year's Eve party. But if I had not run into them, I would not have gone the route of the language school, et cetera. I would have been handed, done whatever they handed me, which would have been whatever, an office job or something. And I just would have methodically gone and then gone back to my old environment, neighborhood, and hope that I could get a job in a, you know being something. But I had no idea. It was just that one brief instance that changed my life.
0: So you talk about the other gentleman, your roommate, when you're in the military, who probably went back to his original environment. And I talk quite quite a bit about this on the show and to other men in general, in that you have to get out of your environment. You have to travel. You have to get outside of your immediate circle to see what else is out there. And to it really opens up your mind to see the possibility and to find more about yourself and what your skills are and other people that don't even know you and that's the amazing thing that people that don't even know you as well as some of the people you grew up with recognize skills in you that you don't recognize and the other people that grew up around you don't even recognize and even if they do some of them won't tell you
1: exactly and when I was in there I found other skills or things that I didn't know but also when you get outside your environment you're willing to do things and try things out that you're not willing to do amongst your friends
0: that's a very good point and I found that to be absolutely true because you don't feel that you don't feel like you're under a microscope they're not you're being watched but not by the people that you're kinda concerned about what are they gonna think about me if I try this
1: exactly and the peer pressure and everything else that goes with it you're not only influenced by your own comfort zone you're influenced by all those people's comfort zone around you they they all somewhat intersect with yours and anytime you are going outside of any part of theirs as well as your own it's a very difficult experience
0: right exactly so obviously you've had a lot of wins Uh, in your life and they're based on so many different instances and circumstances and you know some good some bad but if you could take just a few minutes and share with us a certain kick in the gut moment a moment that you was really just down either you know in a personal moment and uh, tell us that story
1: well certainly my whole early life was down because I never thought I could be anything And then I got that thing. And actually, there are two things. One was at the end of the language school, one of the professors sat down in the coffee shop with myself and another guy and said, gee, whatever you want to do, you can do it. He said this, what you just did is far harder. You can go to law school or medical school, and that'll be much easier than what you just went through. Now there was no question in my mind that actually that was the case, and the reason for that is because they pushed us unbelievably with the threat that if we d- failed out and they would fail out seventy percent of the people. He sat down and said that, and I looked back and said, "Yeah." Now people literally in that situation because they were going to fail out a threat that you would go to Vietnam, you know, across the for- street to Fort Ord for advanced infantry training off to Vietnam, and they even said because you signed up for four years, you will go across for one year, you'll come back for your R&R and you'll go back for a second tour. That scared the heck out of people to the extent that there were people had nervous breakdowns, people committed suicide. So that's far harder than, and people f- pushed far harder because of the competition than they ever did. Interestingly, I went back many years later to thank that professor. He didn't quite remember it. He said, "But, uh, but he said, you know, you were the best class we ever had, and we can't figure out why you were so good, and we haven't been able to duplicate it." Well, yeah, he <laughs> didn't threaten everybody else with
0: death. Well, that is interesting. I wonder if that had anything to do with the the interaction. I don't know with you and personally, or I wonder where that came from.
1: Well, it, our class was extremely good. Apparently, that they like that and the, but it, of course partially we were extremely good because the motivation etc you know mm-hmm. you you see all those people being pushed out and that was a major thing now what happened to me is i thought about it and i said gee remember i still didn't think i was very good i said gee if the military can make me push myself to this extent for them can i instead have the same discipline perseverance and determination to push myself like that but this time for me and that was the major point that you're really trying to get to that thing that all of a sudden clicked mm-hmm. wait a minute so that what i did and all those accomplishments we mentioned earlier in each case it was a matter of saying okay if i just work harder than everybody else when i was in my first year of graduate school at berkeley getting together early on bunch of us sort of it was about lunchtime or something they're talking about getting together afterwards at about six o'clock for beers what's going through my mind is okay they can go out for beers and i can go and put in an extra three or four hours of work
0: absolutely and and that's what makes all the difference and that's that slight edge mentality and you just had a different goal in that.
1: yes yes and i had a longer term goal to, well plus the fact that when i got to berkeley everybody else had already sat in or audited or taken the first year graduate courses at the universities that were at. My school didn't even have a graduate program. So I was literally taking it and even seeing it for the first time. They had already taken it and were redoing the same courses. It was scary.
0: Yeah, it is. It really is. I'm just pondering the, as you're talking the, all of the events that occurred and led you up to that and all the people that you came in contact with some of them not really very good for your future, but uh, many of them were just lifting you up every step of the way, and a lot of the time you didn't even realize it. Or did you You realized it, but you didn't believe it.
1: Well, what I did is I tried to figure it out, because in the sense of the end of the school, I had done it, I had gone through and passed, mm-hmm. and done well, and here was this professor saying, hey, by comparison, you could do any of these other things, which are, you know, being a doctor or a lawyer, and it would be actually easier now my self-evaluation was it wasn't that I was good it was that I worked harder than anybody else actually at that school I don't think I could have worked harder than anybody else because everybody was from the early morning till late at night studying every single day that was my perspective.
0: So which direction did you end up going and what led you to your book? I went
1: into at Hofstra University I was looking and actually I was tossed between economics because I really liked it and also law school for another reason and I finally said okay I'm gonna make the decision based on whether I'm oh how well I do on the LSATs or the GREs. Turns out I did very well on both. So I started sitting and reflecting and saying, wait a second, this law school stuff has you doing a lot of reading and researching in the library and stuff. And like, wait a minute, that's not what I want to do. I didn't want to do all that writing and stuff. It's after I thought about it it sounded pretty boring. It wasn't like Perry Mason or somebody else sitting in the courtroom where you were arguing cases. That's really why I decided to go the economics route. When I got out of Berkeley with a PhD, I went off and extended some work that a Nobel Prize winner had done at Berkeley. I did that, extended it at General Motors Research Labs into customer satisfaction, the perception, and how to prioritize, statistically how to prioritize what is good and bad on a car. JD Powers actually had their person came in several times and I basically taught them my stuff as to what it meant. They never were able to duplicate it because that's too sophisticated for them to put in the detail for it, but they took the general idea. Couple of things there did very well, moved out to corporate, did very well there, was brought into Chase Bank to head the automotive division for the research and they were about to sell that office assets only. When they were gonna sell that off, they asked us to go around to different companies. Some companies said, gee, go ahead and start a company and we'll be clients. Well, it's difficult because you have to build a whole database of every single car and truck line by, and their production and sales over 25 years or so. And you're doing all this and doing the forecasting and everything else and merging it with economic data and making projections reports. But I figured, okay, I can do it because I had this support seven days before they were about to close down the deal fell through oh my so i had to go anyway because i had already you know stepped out in a sense so they didn't look at me any longer as a loyal employee and that was you know i knew that from just background so i left but now my competitors were it was thomas o'grady versus chase manhattan bank merrill lynch mcgraw hill and thompson publishing I did a quick assessment. By the way, they had deeper pockets than me. I'm sure. (laughs) And what I did was, I positioned my company on quality and sophisticated analysis and became the dominant company in the industry. Built it into a fairly large company, which was much larger than any of the banks research organizations, and had office also in Tokyo and London besides the main office in Pennsylvania did very, very well. I finally decided, and actually I was offered the position to head Volkswagen in Japan near the end. But I wanted to get out of that and the automotive reason research, partially because of the stress and everything involved. My wife kept on telling me, slow down, you're no good to me, dead. Should tell you that she's a doctor. So she probably knows what she's talking about. But I didn't believe it because she's my wife.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, But one time I was in Japan sinning. At a cocktail table, basically a coffee table, in Mr. Ono, he's the president of one of the Fuji companies, in his office, and he's talking to other executives with his assistant. The two of them are saying they can't believe how hard I work, and they go on and on and saying, you know, we can send him a question any time of the day or night, twenty-four hours seven, and we always get an answer in less than thirty minutes. He goes on again, and says, you know, two in the morning, we can always get an answer in thirty minutes. Now, speaking Japanese. I just sit there at the table and I just look sideways and say, well, of course you want an answer. And they were, oh, you know, they were all excited. And, you know, because you you don't expect that. Well, I left that feeling great. But then what happens? Two days later, I'm headed back home, upper deck of a 747. halfway through a second glass of red wine and I'm relaxed enough to all of a sudden it dawns on me. The Japanese think I am crazy that I work so hard.
0: Yeah, and I know the. Jap- I've been to Japan. I know the Japanese. I don't know of any culture that works harder than those people.
1: Well, then you can imagine what it, what they thought when they saw how you know how they compared it and compared how hard I worked.
0: Absolutely.
1: So uh that's when I decided, okay, I got to get out of this because it was way too much. So I slowly, and then I transitioned, and actually some of the work I was doing in productivity having a computer program and databases took the attention of Microsoft they offered me a training center I became an independent trainer then because the training center they changed the rules on it so it became less profitable I was doing that I wrote the book the database developers guide to SQL server and then you know it just goes on and then Microsoft asked me if I would come in and help them with some of the problems that the corporation was having similar to what I had done for many other corporations. Like I had done some of the original strate- strategy and uh, positioning for the Lexus division of Toyota. I used to advise Lee Ico, Alan Greenspan, a whole bunch of other people. So I had all of these successes and that's actually where my book came about. I was one time, I'm outside Chicago at a friend's event and he's somebody who speaks all over the world. He's spoken with Les Brown and all kinds of other people. And he said, you know, you ought to write a book. He said, everybody writes a book about something they've done well. He said, you've been eminently successful in several different fields. How did you do it? What did you do? And that's what came about when I sat down and decided to write the book.
0: Who's the audience for the book?
1: It is a comprehensive look at Mechanics for Breakthrough Success. The name of it is the Mechanics for Breakthrough Success. And the target is, literally it can I, I originally tar- was targeting it towards you know people in the middle ages or so, but um, I have so many people in college, 20s, et cetera, that say, oh, this is right for me. This is just perfect for me. Uh, I've had notes from them, et cetera. Because really what it is, it's looking at the raw ingredients of success. It's not you know like most book- books, when you think of a target, you're trying to teach somebody who wants to do Facebook ads, or you want to teach somebody who wants to succeed at playing baseball or a particular sport or any sport whereas this stuff can be applied literally to anything that you are doing and matter of fact you probably can't be successful without many of the pieces or chapters in the book
0: is your book an audio version not you know you know <laughs> <laughs> Nobody was asking me that, and all of a
1: sudden yesterday somebody asked me, and today you're asking me.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's important to me because I am an avid reader. I just don't read as quickly as I wished I did, and I'm driving quite often. So, audiobooks are just, I just consume multiple books uh, that way.
1: Yeah, what I was looking at is that, you know, audio version books, I was looking at them and said, God, they're expensive. Do mm-hmm. I really want to do that? And now I've got, you know, I've got, as a matter of fact, somebody that sent me a note was from Denmark and said, You know, can you get an audio version? Can you do an audio version? No. If I do, I will actually do the audio myself.
0: I've thought about that as well. I'm actually in the process of writing my book, and I've thought about doing it. Ironically enough, me being a podcast host, one of the things I don't care so much about myself is my voice. So, But on the other hand, I was recently talking with an author, and he was also a guest on my show. His book is was done an audio version, but he didn't have any um, control over who did the audio, who the, who the reader was going to be. And it ended up being a completely different voice than him, and it was actually kind of comical. It was somewhat entertaining and really kind of distracting from the content because I knew the guy, and I knew this was not his style of presentation and the way he would <laughs> present even his own words. Uh, so that's the one recommend- recommendation I would make on that point, is make sure either you read it or have some say in who's going to read it.
1: No, I would read it anyway because I've actually had a lot of people come back to me. matter of fact, when I was asked about the audio version when I was first getting close to publication, some people say, well, you have to do it because your voice is good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You definitely have the voice for it. The interesting thing is, is, like
1: we all do, and this is what I'd urge other people that are listening to, we all think that our own voice is bad. I used to think my voice was bad i just realized it wasn't because i got a lot of compliments and actually one of them was ken pruitt of abc he used to interview me a lot and maybe one out of every three times he'd mention, wow you have a great radio voice that's what actually gave me the confidence to do the podcast
0: yeah i've heard that too and i've also heard that i have a great radio face as well so we'll just leave that one one right there so we're going to go into the uh, pay it forward round and we're going to give some uh, great you've already given us so much great information and I'm hoping men of abundance is picking up on all of the uh, great value that you've given us so far but we're going to pay it forward here are you ready for that
1: sure absolutely
0: all right abundant leaders i know some of you are looking for a side hustle many of you are not and that's cool but i always recommend some sort of a side hustle some way to make a little bit of extra income or a lot of extra income depending on what you want to do and how much time you have to put into something the tax benefits alone of starting some sort of side hustle from your home should be incentive enough but you don't want to start a side hustle for tax purposes alone The perfect business, in my opinion, is one that solves a problem and fills a need and makes you a profit at the same time. Something you will enjoy doing. Now, many people that I talk to, just like many of the guests that I've had on this show, end up doing something they had no idea they would enjoy doing. And why is that? It's because they tested the waters, they did something out of the norm, and they realized this is amazing. I never knew this opportunity was here. I'm going to follow through with this, and I'm going to find out more about it, and I'm going to learn this and master this. So I'm going to give you something that you can look at, and seriously, for a very limited time, only a couple more weeks, you will be able to get an inside look absolutely free at this brand new technology company. Now, it is a technology company. It is in the technology industry and in the travel industry, but you do not have to be technically inclined to participate and to partner with this company. So you can take it for a test drive. And the way that you can do that is to either go to the show notes of this episode or go to menofabundance.com, click on the resources tab, scroll down to side hustle and click on the HODO logo. (laughs) That sounds funny. Click on that logo. It's going to take you to a two and a half minute video. Watch that video and then join so that you can see if this side hustle is what you've been looking for. Now let's get back to the show outstanding. All right, so give men of abundance 1 to 3 actionable steps that they can take today.
1: Uh, one I would say is forget the idea of your goals. You everybody sets goals, etc., but 95% of New Year's resolutions never make it into the third week. And I emph- do that for emphasis because those are dumb little things that's like losing 10 pounds eat better exercise regularly you can't even do that for three weeks 95 percent of people how are you going to make a real life changing goal you've got to assess where you are and build basically a real reason as to why you have to leave from the position you're in and go to a new environment that's not as easy as it sounds so that's one of the things i do and help people with but you have to drive yourself that way because if you just set up pretty pictures on the wall, they're not going to come into reality without some real strong motivation. That would be one. The other is I talk about copy. Copy well. And when I mean copy well, find somebody or something that does a particular skill that you want to do and literally copy. And when I say that, I don't mean sort of. I don't mean putting your own spin on. I mean exactly. Often I bring this up in Google Hangouts or some other thing, or I'm giving a lecture or something, and somebody, yeah, that's a great idea, and while I'm doing it, I can put my own spin on it. And I say, no. And why I say no is, imagine now, I'm not a golfer, but I see on TV once in a while, and there's a guy named Spieth, and this guy named McElroy, and they're sort of at the top of the golfing thing, I think, uh, as top professionals. If you could mimic and copy exactly what they're doing and get to that kind of level, Would you have wanted to put your own spin on it? Of course not. So don't be dumb. Just copy the success. When you've mastered the success, and this is actually something I've been quoted on a couple of times, master what the master has already done. After you've mastered it, then you can start making your adjustments. The last I would say is focus in on that new environment. You will be changing. It doesn't mean that you're giving or you're turning your back on your friends. You can still stay in touch with them, do whatever else, but you're going to be in new environments. When I went from Berkeley, when I went from Hofstra to Berkeley, I had whole new friends. When I went back from the service to Hofstra, I no longer had the friends from high school. There were new environments, new friendships, etc. I still on Facebook get in touch with some of those people, all the way back to high school days. But we really don't have that much in common anymore. But they're nice people. Those are the three things that I would say and emphasize very heavily on for people to really make a change in your life.
0: Talking about change, and I'm real big on habits and what daily habits make the biggest impact in your life?
1: First one I do is when I get up, I put the coffee on (laughs) and, (laughs) and then I then I walk up the hill. I got a nice big hill here. A lot of the people here call it cardiac hill and I take that then I come back take my shower what's happened is I've thought about what I'm gonna get done during that walk my body's pumping the bloods pumping I've had my coffee and I'm ready to go and I start early
0: so what book would you recommend to our abundant leaders and why
1: well the one I would recommend is the one that actually I just wrote at the request of somebody else and that's the mechanics for breakthrough success if you take, the initial part of it is really an assessment of different things to help help you cause reflection on yourself. The second part of about 11 chapters are all different action-oriented chapters. And if you did four to six of those chapters after you've done your own feeling of assessment, you would definitely have a change in your life.
0: Well, that book, unfortunately, is not one that's on my shelf right now, but I'm going to remedy that right away. How can I, get, how can myself and Men of Abundance get a hold of that book?
1: Amazon.com. The Perfect. Mechanics for Breakthrough Success at Amazon.com.
0: All right. And I'll have that link in the show notes of this show. So you'll be able to go there and just click right on the link and go get that book straight from there. So one of the things that we do at Men of Abundance is we give back to the community. And at the end of our 12 month anniversary, Thomas, we are going to be giving any a portion of any of our revenue to various charities and what I do is I give my guests the opportunity to list a or mention a charity that you either give to or one that you resonate with. Do you have one?
1: Yes, I do because it takes care of people and it has almost no little to no overhead whatsoever and that's the Salvation Army.
0: All right, I'll have that in the show notes as well and on the giving page which I'm kind of backed up on right now so men of abundance be patient with me. This is very uh, time-consuming getting all this stuff out here for you, and I'm getting ready to get some help on that. So the giving page will be updated with all of these wonderful organizations that we will that you will be able to go give to as well, uh, directly from there, and that we will be giving to on our 12-month anniversary. So I have one more question for you, Thomas, before we close this up. Are you ready for that? I'll try. Beautiful. Uh, what does living a life of abundance mean to you?
1: Helping others literally being able to turn around and help others wherever you are and i literally do that on a daily basis how do you do that when i see oh example i just mentioned i flew back home uh the other day i'm walking by and this mother is with her three-year-old is sitting next door she had a double carriage the infant was in one the other was empty with i'm going to say just barely three year old was having a tantrum i leaned over and said Wow, you're helping your mom? What a good girl. You're helping your mom on your... Where are you going? And she started talking with me, carrying, you know, et cetera. And then she started talking about how proud she is. She teaches her brother, et cetera. And the mother just keeps on mouthing, thank you, thank you. And I do that sort of thing on a regular basis. But also other people that you see around you. If we just project positive feelings and, and assistance to other people... You know, walk by people, have a smile on your face. If quite frankly, don't worry about it. If somebody wants to growl or look at you funny because you're, they don't know you. Who cares?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is that simple. It really is, and that ju- that's just such a wonderful feeling to be able to do that and have that interaction, especially with those young children that get so excited about that interaction.
1: Oh, I do that in the supermarkets all the time, particularly, you know, mothers are there and their two kids are there giving them a hard mm-hmm. time or something like this and I'll do the same thing. And it, But if the kids are doing really nice things, I do the same thing too. And I just turn around and say, wow, you know, et cetera. And then I say, I am really impressed. You are good. Boy, your mom and dad must be so proud of you. And it's the same thing, positive reinforcement from a complete stranger.
0: Exactly. So you've already left with us so much. I don't know how you're going to possibly top that. But if you do have any parting piece of guidance for us, uh, give us that parting piece of guidance and how men of abundance can get in touch with you.
1: Easiest way to get in touch with me is go to my website thomasogreadyphd.com and uh, parting advice I would just say assess where you are and what you want to do. And you've got to dig in and find just like we discussed there are certain things that you have to do to motivate yourself and make it to get on to the next position that you want to be at
0: excellent i truly appreciate your time thomas and uh, it's been a wonderful conversation i'm gonna definitely go back i listen to these multiple times especially when i'm doing the editing and all that stuff and then i listen to the final show but this is one i'm going to be coming back to and listening to myself so i appreciate everything you've shared with men of abundance today Thank
1: you very much. I enjoyed very much our conversation.
0: Awesome. Aloha and have a great day.
1: That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of
0: abundance.